All right, everybody, welcome to Bonehead. We have one of our special guests tonight, Mark A. Altman. I don't know, what do you like to be called? Producer, writer, extraordinaire, all <laughs> the above? It depends, you know, sometimes director, sometimes producer, sometimes author. Author sounds the most prestigious, but, you know, usually showrunner is good, you know, just Mark. That's my favorite, probably, of all of them. You know, just, uh, I, I just like it when someone just doesn't say, hey, fatty to me. So there you go. <laughs> we're, we, we, we were so excited when James said that you would do the show because we're, we're fans. And I, we always try to think of a first question that not everybody would ask. So, for example, you never ask Mark Hamill about Star Wars. That should never be your first question. I moderate, we've moderated a lot of conventions, several big conventions. Try never to ask, and the audience will ask that. Make sense? But, so did you ask Mark the most important question? What? Real quick. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian <laughs> or the Beastmaster? Go. <laughs> because the crush ran me to see the bad down before them and hear the lamentation of the women. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Although, I got I to gotta say, Don Coscarelli was really nice to me once, so I can't, I got to go with the Beastmaster every once in a while. <laughs> uh, just because of, I know Don. And Mark too, Singer's right? abs. That's true. Yeah. And Don's like eight foot tall. Okay. No, I, 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 uh, I love Don, but uh, I have to go with Conan, which is, uh, you know, the great. I agree. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah. But, so normally we try not to ask questions but i always want to ask like who's the biggest asshole you have worked with two people and you don't have to tell this story but i'm going to start it out with yeah. you've worked with two people who are infamous for mm. how they've worked with other people right one of them being a guy that was on the original star trek mm. and the other one being an infamous german director ah that's not where i thought you were going with that okay no and he actually he actually kind of laid into us at one point <laughs> On Twitter. That's, <laughs> we loved it. <laughs> we weren't trying to start a fight. We actually were trying to be nice and would have loved to for him to come on the show. We had no ill will whatsoever. We <laughs> were going to ask if that's Sharon, but okay. I, 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 you went with you, Uwe, instead. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, let me ask you a question. I don't need to, out of the two. Yes. <laughs> what, how should I ask this gentleman? Uh, not who's the biggest asshole. I don't want you to go with that. I'm not looking for Twitter bait or anything like that. We don't even do that. Show. Just do you have a un interesting because story? Shatner actually, I'm the only one out of us who has got who was Shatner was wonderful too. I don't have uh -huh. anything bad to say about Shatner. So, do you have a what's your best story out of those two? Well, actually, it's a very the fact that you preface this whole question by saying I want to ask you something you normally don't get asked. I know you get asked it all the time, but oh, no. I couldn't stop. Sorry. Oh, no. I how much respect I have for you for saying that, because my whole career is predicated on that. As a journalist, I always believed in not asking the obvious question. It goes back to when I was eight years old, standing in line at the mall for Leonard Nimoy's autograph. And, <laughs> and I'm not going to ask him about Star Trek. Nope. Everyone asks him about Star Trek. Yep going to ask him about in search of and in my mind fantastic show super cool because i was the only guy who asked him about in search of and not star trek and even you know when we were getting when we were begging shatner to do our movie free enterprise and we you know sort of sent our 
dismissive with the offer. We talked about how great he was in Saturday Night Live and how great he was on Fridays and his comic, uh, his great comic ability. We never mentioned Star Trek once. So I love the fact that you said, I'm going to ask you a question, you know, which isn't the obvious question. Because I think there's a way, at least I found it as a journalist, when I was a journalist, it's a way you endear yourself to your interview subject. If you ask them about, because they want to talk about anything but the obvious. Anything. If you start to talk to somebody, say they like fly fishing, and uh, they're famous for Firefly or something, you, you start talking about fly fishing, you're immediately going to endear yourself and warm them up to you, as opposed to, you know, tell me what it was like working with Joss Whedon. So I'm, I'm really, I think, that's great. Now, to so, answer your question. So yeah. I'm going to spin that and take that as a compliment towards me for asking the Beastmaster question. So thank <laughs> That's you, sir. true. That's true. Because I did ask about two people you get asked about, but I could not go past. And really quick, I did the same thing with Romero a few years ago. I was like, I'm not asking you anything about zombies before we do these panels. Really? And I go, no, not one. The audience will ask. About Des Moines. So forget Pittsburgh. All about Des Moines. So, um, but I, I you know. So go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Do six degrees here. Um, you. So you mentioned the Beastmaster. When I was doing the James Bond book, nobody does it better. One of my absolute favorite interviews was Tanya Roberts, which is amazing. Oh. She said to me, she said, this is the best interview I've ever had. Now, I don't know if she says that to everybody. And I, I, I prefer she said other things. But the fact that it was the best interview that she ever had was sweet. And I have to tell you, you know, I'm not a fan of A View to Kill. I'm not a fan of Stacey Sutton in that movie mm -hmm. at all. James, hey! But um, I, she was so she was so great to interview, and I had a whole new respect for her by the time that interview was over. So, and we talked about the Beastmaster, you know, uh, yeah. which, which was which was was super fun. And uh, <laughs> I love the way you said it at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's like because, a fascinating you know, movie. Can you tell me about the fucking ferrets again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, poor Kodo got thrown into a fire. <laughs> she got a view to a kill was because of Beastmaster, because she did a Playboy layout for Beastmaster. Uh -huh. And he saw the Playboy layout, and then he said, let's hire her to a kill. I don't even think they had a read for it. I don't know. But they literally cast her out of that Playboy pictorial, because that's how they used to do it, because a lot of the Bond girls, they look great, but they couldn't act, but they would just dub them. You know, all the early Bond girls, Ursula Andrus on, right. you know, they said, oh, can she act? Who cares? We'll just dub her. And Danielle Bianchi was dubbed. Dubbed, you know, uh, Claudine Auger and, 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 you know, Thunderbolt, she was dubbed. So anyway, I don't know why I went off on that tangent. Because it. The, it was awesome. The que it. question you guys want to know is who the pricks are that I've worked with. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just wanted, you know, there's just, I, I, I've Matthew Lillard, I've got to ask this question. I could just go down a litany of people that I've, because we've never met him, even though he attacked us on Twitter. And that's yeah, another story. I mean, you know, we have a lot, and we have a lot of uh, personal memories of watching Yuva Bowl films. You know, for example, I was in Joe's apartment when we watched Postal, and I got traumatized by Dave Foley's Wang. So, you know. <laughs> it, honestly, there's some, there's scenes in it that I enjoy. There's scenes that I like in Outhouse of the Dead. But anyway, back to what we were Did you say Outhouse of the Dead? Outhouse of the Dead. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I didn't come. I meant in House of the Dead. All that, uh, Outhouse of the Dead. But, um, it's interesting because you mentioned Matthew Lillard for my first film, Free Enterprise. And originally it was going to be Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis and Christian oh, wow. Slater to jail. And our second choice with Matt Lillard. 
and he was actually represented by an agent uh, that we knew really well and he passed and, and ended up being you know ray for wild but um matthew lillard was like our second choice for rob and free enterprise wow oh real so i did, it, did not bring that up you just mentioned something i'm like oh back in the day <laughs> um but uh yeah so let's talk about um I, I i'll tell you look i'll dispense with the bill thing first because i understand his reputation how mm -hmm. i had an amazing experience with him it was great um you know we approached him with respect we approached him like the godfather he was excited when he did commit to do the movie he was excited to be there um i think he sensed the fact that we respected him the thing about bill is he doesn't suffer fools gladly so I think if you treat him like, hey, I paid you to be at this convention and just do what we say, or I paid you a lot of money to be in this movie, just do what we say, he feels like, you know, I have decades and decades of experience. And if you're not going to take advantage of that, you know, uh, you know, F you pay me, like God, good fellas. But, um, you know, we had nothing but a great experience. And, and, you know, I continue to be friends with Bill to this day. And I'm so grateful because who gets to make a movie with their childhood idol, their first movie? You know? Right. And to me, he, he just lived up to everything you know, I hoped he would be. And, you know, I look, I hear from people who say, oh, he was mean to me at a convention. You know, at the same time, he does how many of these? A exactly. Week, every weekend. And then how much dumb questions can you be? I mean, it goes back to what you said at the beginning. For 50 years, he's been asked the same stupid questions about Star Trek. Yep. I understand why he would lose his temper. You know? Uh, enough, the, most of our stories come from industry people. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. People but, who haven't had it. But, you know, I feel like we went to him with respect and we wanted him for the right reasons. And, you know, we really were sort of the first people to sort of tap into his comic abilities because this was before the big giant head and 30 Rock. And it was before, yeah. um, uh, you know, we really, it, it, it was funny because when we were making the movie, Priceline contacted us and they wanted to see dailies because they heard this was where he's singing in a club or he's in a club and they wanted to, they were coming up with their first Priceline campaign and we sent it to them. They, they're very appreciative. And, you know, now obviously we know what happened. And I say, look, I didn't even get free plane tickets out of that. I got nothing from them. I don't know why I was so happy to help them because, you know, I didn't get stock options, you know, and we, we basically gave them a great advertising campaign. So, um, but, but live and learn. And uh, so, yeah, my, my thoughts about Bill were great and it's similar and I'll get to Uwe, but no, the no, thing, no. I thought you were going to Sharon Stone, because of course I work with Sharon on Agent X, and it was a similar thing. You know, Sharon, it got to the point where the only person she wanted writing for us, because you know, she's a famous diva uh, for writing for it, was us. And we love Sharon, and it was also because I knew her career outside, inside and out. So we talked about Verhoeven one day, you know, and we talked, you know, Sliver another day, and we talked about, I mean, I talked about Stardust Memories and working with Woody Allen, you know, it was like, so it was, it was great, and um, we had a lot of fun with her, and you know, it was really like old Hollywood because she's like a throwback to these classic, you know, Hollywood blonde. And uh, so that was great. And that was a really disappointing experience in the sense that Agent X was a show that we really loved working on and it was sort of finding its legs and then, you know, got canceled, which we knew was going to happen. But uh, this TNT was making big changes at the time. They, they were going away from sort of the fun, entertaining shows to like the really dark Emmy bait that nobody watched. Um <laughs> You know, uh, but but working with Sharon was great. So Uve, Uve is an interesting case because Uve, you know, his reputation where he's very pugilistic, and he's very confrontational. You guys know, um, mm -hmm. but in person, 
he's a really nice guy. Like, uh, personally, I had a good experience with him. The story of House of the Dead was was tough because we had optioned the rights to the game. We were about to lose the rights because the option was up, and it was an expensive option. And somebody, our, our business affairs guy, said, you know, I was introduced to this guy who has a German tax fund who could finance the movie. And I said, well, it's great. Let's do it. He goes, well, there's a caveat. I said, what's the caveat? He has to direct. And it was like, and we all looked at each other and we're like, well, I don't know. And it's like, well, we're going to lose the rights anyway. So it's better to just go ahead with this and we can control him hopefully and, you know, work with him and we'll make it a good movie. Well, about a week or two into the movie, I knew there was no controlling this force of nature. And, you know, literally Jurgen Prock now will run up to him and say, uh, say, I signed up to make the script, but we're not making the script. Because he was telling everybody to ad lib and say whatever they wanted and just do whatever wanted and he arbitrarily ripped 20 pages out of the script to save money because raised the money he hoped so like the scenes were being thrown out willy-nilly and uh, you know and, and like everybody was just like you know felt the pain of the death of a thousand cuts and I'll never forget um, when the movie when he did the rough cut uh, when it was cut together I did a 40 page memo with notes 40 pages of notes wow not did he do and I was just like, eh, you know, it was what it was. And it was, uh, you know, it was a fun experience in Vancouver. I liked the cast. I, uh, I, you know, there was a point where I was up there and I just realized there's no controlling this guy. And I'm like, I'm just going to get out of Dodge and go to the next movie because this is, you know, going to be what it is. It's going to be a train wreck. And uh, it was so funny because like we go on the weekends, we go out to dinner, we have a great time. We go see something like it was a fellowship. I remember this very vividly. Fellowship of the Ring, right? And we'd come into to, to, uh, onto stage on Monday and there'd be a whole new scene added to the script. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, the zombies can be hiding in this ditch and the zombies will come up to him and they'll look around and they'll smell and they'll walk. And it was literally the same scene as in Fellowship. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> the same thing. Because we do bullet time with zombies because he'd seen The Matrix the week before. <laughs> I mean, it was hysterical. And, I, you know, I told some of these stories on the commentary for House of Dead. One of my proudest yeah. moments, you know, a lot of people coming up to me at Comic-Con and stuff who recognize, oh, you're Mark Altman, blah, blah, blah. Very nice, very flattering. A free enterprise changed my life. So one time I had one of these people come up and I thought, oh, okay, it's going to be a free enterprise story, which I'm very appreciative of or whatever. And he goes, I just want to tell you, your, your audio commentary on the House of the Dead DVD is the greatest audio commentary of all time. And I was like, wow, okay, well, thank you. very specific. Yeah, yeah, and I loved it because I was fairly candid because I don't dislike Uva. He's impossible to dislike. He is such an interesting guy. Now he's apparently a very successful restaurateur in Canada. Right. But, uh, but you know, we sort of gave him, I feel guilty because we gave him this whole model of optioning video games and making video game movies, and then he took it and ran with it and ran it into the ground, you know, making progressively worse and worse movies. Um, and it was just because he just wanted to go fast. And also, it was his fun. So he's always trying to cut corners on money to try and save money because, you know, he's a doctor of finance. Mm -hmm. He's a very bright guy. Right. And so, but it was a bad situation because he couldn't tell himself, no, this is worth spending money on. I mean, I remember there was this great location really early on. We found it, we scouted it and stuff. Like, let's cut that scene. Why? Because the location's too expensive and we shouldn't do, we, we don't need it. But we did need it and set up the whole movie. I mean, it, it, you know, um, and then, you know, it was like, let's cast. We, we did all this casting down in the U.S. We found these great actors, spent weeks and weeks casting. And it's like, okay, so who do you, you know, 
this is we have it narrowed down to. He goes, no, no, we cast everyone in Canada. I, I, I don't want to spend SAG. We, we, we forget them. No. And uh, I saw this guy. I met him at a bar. He's great. He'll be great. And, <laughs> and it was just like, I mean, it was so funny because I remember the cruise shirt when we wrapped. You know, they give you a crew gift. Well, this was a T-shirt. And on it was just quotes from Uva on the back of the of the, the t-shirt. And it was so funny. This is not the Fulton's family porch. Let's shoot. And he's like, zombies <laughs> at the fort and killed them. And it was it was just it was cra- it was crazy. I mean I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I mean the movie's an embarrassment, but um, you know, look if you're drunk enough and it's late enough on a Saturday night, it could be entertaining. But uh, I still love the trailer with uh, who is it? Uh, up in here, up in here, the original tra- as they and it cuts to slow motion with a bullet time. I I could watch that trailer a dozen times. It is so much fun to me. And don't get me wrong, I love great cinema. In fact, you writing forty pages reminds me of Orson Welles of the cut that they did of uh, oh shit, my mind just went blank. Of, of the, it wasn't Amberson's, it's the other one. Garbage uh, Pill Kids the movie. Not garbage pill kids the movie. No, no, that that's another Orson Welles. Anyway, it reminds me of that touch. Um, touch of evil. Touch of evil. Touch of evil. Why couldn't I think of touch of evil? My mind went blank. But uh, yeah. it reminds me of that. But still, I'm sitting here going, I just love the trailer. <laughs> and oddly, oddly enough, Matthew Lillard said the same thing about him. He said, if you knew him in person, he was just a mensch. He just loved. Really was. Nice, nicest guy. Nicest guy, nicest guy. And by the way, we interviewed Chris Alexander. Do you know him? He used to be the editor for Fango after Tony Timpone. He's okay. one of the guys that boxed him. Oh, God. Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. Who could forget? Well, Chris Alexander said, even after the – remember? Even Chris said, ah, he was really nice to me. He took me to dinner after the boxing. <laughs> we had a good time. Don't press at it. I mean, you know, I look at Uva as the modern-day William Castle. You know, mm-hmm. Castle, With less talent. What, yeah, weren't great, but um, he knew how to promote himself. And, you know, he ultimately, you know, was smart enough to produce Rosemary's Baby. And I've always said that if uh, Uwe had taken that money and gambled on young filmmakers with great ideas and a vision, and t- he could have made a lot of money in movie in the movie business. Yeah. But he didn't. Instead, he kept, as he started re- making less and less money, he started making these movies cheaper and cheaper, and they just got, you know, progressively worse. I mean, I know Postal, for instance, he was very proud of. I mean, I remember I went to a screening in town. It's like, oh, you're going to love this. This is, my, this is my masterpiece. You know, But it so. may actually be his best movie. Some people feel that way. I will say that when they interview I, I him in that movie. I laughed quite a bit. When they interview him in that movie. Yeah. Uh, when they interview him in that movie and he goes off all and he goes on that whole tirade, I think that's comedy genius in the middle of that movie. So, yeah, I, I you know, I, again, it's like I can't, uh, you know, he had this entourage of really lovely German uh, people. And I remember very early on, I was sitting at dinner and I was surrounded by Uva and like six or seven of his German friends. And I said, Now I know what the polls felt like in 38. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. well his joke in postal is like my grandfather died at Auschwitz so did mine he fell from a great uh, a guard tower yeah I mean yeah. it's bad taste but it's genius it's great comedy it's not genius it's uh I, I, I really thought it was funny I know I, here I am defending him but it doesn't matter thank you so much for that that was my question I wanted to ask and I know it's kind of cliche but thank you oh it's 
fine. I look. I'm happy to, to defend Uva because there's so many people that uh, you know. And he's his own. I don't know that I want to defend him. His movies are bad. I'm not defending. Yeah, defending him as a human being, and yeah. I will tell that uh, you know he didn't do himself any favors with that Vanity Fair piece where he's so defensive. Um, and uh, I'm really glad that he's doing well. And I, I understand he's kids now, and I haven't seen him in a long time. But I know a lot of people who, who know him, and I'm, I'm happy for him. You know, I have no ill will towards him whatsoever. And uh, he, he, you know, he's he, he's a good guy, and I think he's tr you know he's found his calling, and uh, you know, in the restaurant business. I'm sorry. All right, James, you had a question ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I said, when I uh, contacted you, Free Enterprise, I am also one of those people that Free Enterprise, I loved it the first time I saw it. I have the soundtrack. The um, Here he goes, kissing your ass. Uh, well, no, it's a phenomenal soundtrack. I've introduced more people to it. Matter of fact, a friend of mine uh, every year now posts uh, No Tears for Caesar by Shatner, which I believe you wrote. Uh, I, Bill Shakespeare and Bill Shatner. It was a quite quite a collection of authors. <laughs> well, the uh, so but but I also wanted to ask you about as you've got your Bond background, you also have been uh, with Edward Gross doing these oral histories. You did the one for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, the two volume set, I believe. Um, and now nobody does it better. I think came out in February, which is the oral history of of the James Bond films. I love oral history. So you can talk, can you talk a little bit about how those came together and, and why you think it's important to do them as oral histories instead of some other way? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, um, uh, you know, I, I've been a journalist for a long time. And then when I started doing movies and TV, you know, I wasn't really doing that anymore. And it, it got close to the 50th anniversary of uh, Star Trek and Ed called me up and he said, Oh, you know, because great anniversary of Star Trek. I'd love to do, you know, book and, you know, are you interested? And I'm like, no, not really. And he said, why not? And he was like, really, you know, anxious to do something. And he needed me to do it with him. And I'm just like, I'm not really interested. And, 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 but I had just read this MTV, I Want My MTV, which is this great oral history about the history of MTV. And as I was about to hang up, I made the mistake of saying, you know, maybe if we did it as an oral history, it could be interesting. And I said, but I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I said, look, talk to our agent, see if she thinks there's something, see if she can make a deal that's worthwhile. Otherwise, I'm not interested. You should go do it yourself. He said, I can't do it myself. I need you, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he talks to our agent and da -da, And sure enough, she sells the book like the next day. And I'm like stuck doing this book. But the good thing was we had the greatest time. It was phenomenal. I'm so proud of that book. And it was so huge by the time the manuscript was done. We called up our editor and we said, look, it's too big to be one book. You're going to have to split it up and make it two books because otherwise we'll have to cut it to ribbons and it's not right. And he said, well, I'll be the judge of that. He was very like, thought, who are these guys that tell me it should be two books? So he reads the book and then the next day we get an email that says it's two books. So that was great. And they came out and they were hugely successful, which was really, I mean, it was the first time we had like a best-selling book and, um, you know, I was really gratified. And I said, okay, I'm done. And then I said, well, you know, come on, they're asking us to do another book. Let's do another book. So we ended up making a deal to do the Buffy and Galactica books. And so, okay, I said, okay. So we did those. They turned out really well. Um, and I said, but I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I said, well, you really want another book. I said, there's nothing I'm interested in writing. We did Galactica. You know, I, I, that was great. But I'm done now. We're done. And I said, there's nothing I would want to write about other than, I guess, James Bond. Because well, let's do a James Bond book. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh, man. 
I'm like, uh, well, if we can make a deal and it makes sense and, you know, and sure enough, we sold it. And I think it's our best book, even better than 50 year mission, you know, came in February. I think the paperback comes out in October and, uh, I'm just thrilled with it. We had so much fun and it was a chance to talk to so many people I would have never talked to otherwise. And, um, ask them questions they're not used to being asked. And, uh, it was it was great, and I love that I love that book because we tried. There's so many great books about the James Bond movies, so we tried to make it something different—a combination of a making of, but also a podcast. Also, you know, like people's opinions about the movies because we all have opinions, and most of them are completely conflict. You know, about the Bond movies, like I'll say, you know, View to a Kill is probably the worst Bond, one of the worst Bond movies ever made. I know people who think it's the best. You know, God help them. So. Um, Anyway, it was really great, and we had a great time doing the Bond Bond book together. And you know, I, I really I enjoy working with Ed. I mean, Ed called me up when he used to write for Starlog back when I was, at, I think, in college writing for Cinefantastic. And he said, "Oh, you know, I wanted to find out if I could use some of your material for something." And we've been friends ever since. So uh, it's always nice to be working with uh, with Ed, and we keep trying to one up each other with our interviews. So it's always been a great experience. Let me ask you a question about that, just to follow up off the top of my head. Can you talk a little bit about the logistics of that, the actual logistics of getting all those people and interviewing them, how you do that? And now I would imagine it's a little easier than it was 10, even maybe five years ago because of Zoom and some other things over the phone. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm finding them, getting up with them. I'm, I, hey, no, this person they may not know who you are. Well, the Star Trek book's a little different because the Star Trek book, both Ed and I had covered Star Trek so extensively over the years. So a lot of people who had died, like particularly with the original series, he had already interviewed over the years, um, you know, and then I had covered Next Generation really extensively. But we still had a ton of people we needed to talk to. Um, and Ed operates differently. He's in New York. So he likes to do phone interviews. And whereas I really prefer to do them in person. Yeah, I me too. I can get a lot more them to open up much more. They also can say, oh, I'm getting another call. I got to go. So I can push to get more out of them or I can get them drunk and get more out of them. So I like to do it in person. Um, but it gets expensive after a while. I, used to right. tell I, said, I said, I think I'm losing money on this book. I bought so many dinners and lunches and drinks. I, I said, I don't know if we're, I, the advance is going to cover all this. So um, he, uh, uh, you know, but, you know, in a lot of cases, um, you know, I would just query them because we were the major publishers, so that helps. So I could say, you know, we're doing an oral history of Star Trek for St. Martin's Press. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, in other cases, it was a lot of friends of friends. Because like for Enterprise, um, I decided I wanted to do the Enterprise chapter because it was the thing show I had written nothing about. Mm -hmm. about. But most of those people were connected to somebody either I knew like that's how I was able to get Fred Decker. And like Fred was a huge fan of Free Enterprise. Like that was also helpful because a lot of people knew Free Enterprise prize so i was able to get it uh you know or they were somebody who worked on a tv show that i worked on or whatever so that helped um uh, a lot um but uh, you know other times it's just querying but because it was saint martin's and because it was you know something but then there were still people we didn't get but uh for the most part i was really happy i mean a lot of the people we didn't think we'd get like kate mulgrew we ended up getting and she was fantastic i mean you know she basically you know copped to the whole few with Jerry, which was fantastic and I apologized for it. Amazing. Um, which he didn't even do in her own biography. So, uh, 
it was really it was really great and it got to the point where you know ed would get somebody amazing like that we never thought we could get like a phil kaufman to talk about planet titans and then i would get somebody and then he would get somebody. We, i would call it stop competing with me decker you know it's like we kept trying to one up each other and it was it was really fun because i said oh guess who i got today and he's like Arr! and i was like and the next day he gets somebody really cool. So um, the whole experience of writing that book was was phenomenal. And I mean, I remember at the last second, it wouldn't mean a lot to many people, but you know, we were writing about the uh, the second season of Next Generation. What a you know clusterfuck that was. And there was one guy who had died. This guy um, Burton Armis, uh, who actually was the Armis that uh, uh, was named in Superman, where he goes, "Hey Armis," and so he was a New York City cop. Huh? and um, nobody had ever interviewed him. And Ed says to me, he says, you know, I think I interviewed him back in the day, but I never used it for anything. I never sold to Starlog. I don't even think I transcribed it. So he went down to his basement, which he calls the TARDIS. So whenever he felt he <laughs> the TARDIS. And so he calls me later that day and says, you'll never believe what I found. I said, what? He said, it's a micro cassette with my interview with Burton Armis that I never had. So like 30 years, we had this guy speaking from the dead and it was like, for us, that was a huge, like, oh my God, we got Burton Armis. Never talked about Star Trek. We got this unpublished interview. We got him in the book years after he died. It was so awesome. And I mean, we basically consider ourselves the angels of death because when we're writing a book, you know, it's like two year process, you know, people just start dying. It's like, we started writing the Star Trek book, like Hart Bennett, you know, Leonard Nimoy, uh, Bernie Williams, people just start dying. It's like, and we're like, we better get to these people before they die. It happened again with the James Bond book, Louis Gilbert, and all these people start dying when we start writing the book. Jesus Christ, like, what uh, have you done to us, James? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you, <laughs> hey, I've had a good run. This is a good way to go. You don't write a book about you, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we've never been interesting enough to talk about. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I think the uh, and and one thing I did want to say, and I want to be cautious of uh, conscious of our time. But I think one of the things that I really appreciate about everything that you've done, because I'm a big fanboy, so I, I I was thinking I, I haven't read the James Bond book yet, but it's on my to do list because it's James Bond. Yeah. Um, and we'll pimp the hell out of it later. We yeah, will. you you have such a great. It comes across that you're a fan in Free Enterprise. One thing that I appreciate about it because. Uh, that opening scene where somebody is uh, beat up for wearing a Star Trek uniform struck home. Uh, 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 the Rob, I mean, people say how, how, uh, how much is that show? Uh, is that movie based on your real lives? And I say, it's like Seinfeld is based on his real, you know, the character's named Seinfeld, there's stuff drawn from his real life, but you know, then it's, uh, 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 you know, enhanced for comedic effect. I mean, that's for everybody. A lot of stuff was based on our real life at the time, but, in, but, um, but you know, a lot of it, is um, embellished for comedic effect. That was not. Rob really got beat up in college, in college, in kindergarten or whatever it was for wearing a Starfleet uh, uniform. But he did not see William Shatner when he was knocked unconscious. <laughs> so that was taking liberties. And of course, you know the story with young Mark, where he goes to see Star Trek the Motion Picture, and the ticket taker won't let him in. That's and gets his mother's back. That was true. That was really something that happened to me. Yeah, I think that's what I really appreciate is all of all of your your work, your you know the oral histories and everything. You have a great appreciation of what it means to be a fan, and, and I just wanted to say I really appreciate that because it's it's been really easy at times to mock the fans. We've seen lots of uh, movies do that and things like that. Um, and I, I think it's funny I, we interviewed maybe it was Peter David uh, last week who mentioned that now 
Big Bang Theory has taken over and the geeks have inherited the earth. Right, sure. Uh, but you beat the punch to that. And, and I, I really appreciate that. So it's actually really annoying when people say, oh, you know, you guys at Big Bang Theory, because Big Bang Theory is a show that really sort of was the cliche. And we were really trying to deconstruct the cliche. And it's funny, Comic Con, you know, it was another one of those instances where it was at like the WB party or whatever. And I met a bunch of people from Big Bang Theory and said, oh, we're big fans of Free Enterprise. And I'm like, oh, I would, I would have never, I actually would have never guessed that. And they're lovely people. And obviously, but I never watched the show. And I'm not saying, I know a lot of people love it. Ed Gross is like one of his favorite shows. But I just never felt like, I don't know those fans. Like, I don't know the weird OCD asperger type fans. You know, it's like, I get it. And I understand that. That's, but that's not the kind of fan that me and my friends were growing up. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, said, go ahead. We were dysfunctional. We were dysfunctional, but we weren't like, you know, we, we weren't that, those people, we weren't that, what's Captain Kirk's safe number? You know, because we love movies, we love television, you know, and we loved, you know, one of the things when Rob and I were doing a lot of publicity for the movie and um, we were traveling the world, we said, this is what Star Trek's about. It's about, it's about boldly going. It's not, it's not about being in your parents' basement. It's about me new people exploring new cultures i mean one of the greatest experiences we had besides premiering the movie in spain was um going to a convention in france and realizing star trek fans are the same the world over but mm -hmm. uh, but but I, i'll never forget it's like we were there and we were having the greatest time and all we wanted to do was do like really cool french stuff like go to the catacombs and go to these cool raves and and, and they say oh, and they say, oh tomorrow's the big night you have to be there for the big closing night party and we said oh really where, where is it where is it they go planet hollywood and we were both like oh you know it's like that's the last place you want to go in Paris so um it was uh you know it was such an amazing experience because the, the experience of making the movie was only part of it because traveling the world and promoting it it's like we went to the Cannes Film Festival with Shatner I mean Shatner went and then we actually donated his uh a wardrobe uh to Planet Hollywood Cannes and, you know, we had this huge press event and, and you know and that was where we went to we had a big party one night for the um went to a big party that was a free enterprise slash festival in Cannes, which is a movie Henry Jagleman made. And so Maximilian Schell is there and Rob and I are freaking out because we're like, Oh my God, it's Dr. Hans Reinhardt from the black hole and Shatner's hugging him because they've been in judgment in Nuremberg together. And we're like, this is uh -huh. the greatest thing ever. Captain Kirk, Dr. Hans Reinhardt, but nobody would get that. Nobody. And he's like, and we're just like, this is awesome. So, I mean, I'm so appreciative for having those experiences, those kind of fan experiences. It was a great way to start the second stage of my career because my first was, you know, as a journalist, but then, you know, my professional career was like, I couldn't ask for more. It was just, it was this amazing adventure. It's a fantastic story because Tarantino talks about that Reservoir Dogs was that Reservoir Dogs allowed him to see the world. Yeah. And it was true because I'd never been out of the country until yeah. Free Enterprise and we were invited to have the world premiere in the Sidious Film Festival. And of course, then at some point we we're at the Hawaii Film Festival in this treehouse. It was like something at an end or at a Jedi. And that's where I first met Quentin because Quentin was um, uh, telling us how much he loved the movie and was doing all, he knew he'd only seen the movie once and was doing all of Shatner's lines. You know, <laughs> it's one man version of Julius Caesar. And to watch Quentin doing Bill, doing our movie was like this incredible thing. And then it was many years later that I ran into him again in Sidious. And I'll, I'll never forget because we were all like having dinner at this really nice restaurant along the water. And all of a sudden Quentin goes around 
walking by like a hard day's night or something. I'm like, he's being chased by paparazzi. He runs in and he's like, can I sit with you guys? I got to lose the press. I'm like, yeah, of course. So we're sitting there for like three or four hours, just like drinking and having a great time. And he's ordering all these bottles of Dom. And he's like, oh, can I hang out with you until your movie premieres? It was actually House of the Dead too. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and we said, well, you know, we're going to go back and change and get ready. He goes, okay. And it just runs off and leaves. You know, I know we had this huge bill for all this champagne and food. And I was like, you know, so, so it was like, oh, great, Stiff by Quentin Tarantino. But it was fine because we've been <laughs> out on that story ever since. Um, the bastard didn't pay before he went. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. So that leads me to a question I was sitting here thinking about of the people. I mean, we are of a certain age, the four of us. What do you think it's going to be like? It's because it's so much more acceptable now. Star Trek is more acceptable. Star Wars is more acceptable. Of course, Star Wars is probably always more acceptable because it's a, pop, you know, it's a phenomenon. But what is it going to be? Because now it's in, it's everywhere. Yes. You can't escape it. Hollywood only makes four movies, and one of those is, is superhero, right? How, what is that like now for the people who are growing up? Because it's so much more accepted. It's not, it, it doesn't seem to have the same, I don't know. And I don't want to sound like a geek god or, a, a, you know, a comic book man. Of like, you just wouldn't get it. But I don't know that they'll understand. No, I, I get what you're saying. It's like, it do you, was, how do you think people will feel about your movie, uh, Free Enterprise, 20 years from now? Well, I don't know if they get it now because it was very much a, a, mo a, a part of a time, the, the 90s. And obviously we're very influenced by swingers. And yeah. I mean, there are jokes in there that I think are hysterical that, you know, people would be extremely offended by right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we would have walkouts, you know, because they, I'm, I mean, the, 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 the thing has changed so much. I mean, even the way that the guys, you know, deal with women and stuff and talk about women, it's like, um, I think that, uh, you know, some people would de deem that problematic, you know, but I, look, I think the movie holds up because I think that, uh, it is a great snapshot into geek culture at the time. And, um, you know, I'm really, really proud of it. I know that the, the, there's a version that's streaming, which is terrible, which is missing footage. And I don't know what the hell that is. But so people, you know, want to see it, they should get the, uh, the special edition DVD. Um, this is still not on a Blu-ray because of a rights issue. But, um, uh, you know, that's the way to watch it, you know. And it's just, um, but I don't know in 20 years because, you know, uh, um, geek culture has become so snarky and uh, negative and, and, but it's not based on anything. Like there's nothing wrong with not liking something if you can give it a legitimate critique. Like I hate the prequels, but you know, I don't just shit on the prequels for no reason. I have my distinct reasons for that, but I feel like everything is so polarized. Like either something is amazing or something's awful. Like I find the good in it. And then there's a real um, problem with contemporary audiences being able to, to watch anything that's more than you know two years old because like you, you try and show them forbidden planet or even like a logan's run or even stuff from the 80s and they have a real tough time accepting it you know both because of the physical production limitations but also you know content wise they can't just gloss over something that maybe isn't as acceptable today as it was then and say well you know it's a product of its era no it's something that needs to you know it's that whole cancel culture thing which yeah. you know i'm super liberal but the cancel culture thing is you know no. so offensive to me and uh, there's yeah yeah and just to be and just say you're woke and that glosses over everything i'm woke i'm not going to accept that well you know 
things have changed, things are different, and times aren't the same. I totally agree with you. And history, ignoring it, is not going to fix your problems now. No, it's like this whole thing was, oh, you can't show Gone with the Wind. Well, you know what? You want to put it in context, that's fine. You want to start before the film and say this is made in this year and that this is why it's problematic. And blah, blah. But then, you know, you don't not show Gone with the Wind. It's one of the most significant movies ever made. I mean, same thing with Birth of a Nation. Yeah, of course it's offensive. It's about the Klan. But, you know, D.W. Griffith is, is, is a, you know, a, a you know, huge part of the history of, of the cinema. And I mean, I think you can look at a lot of the films we love from the 80s. And, you know, there's going to be a ton of stuff that you find potentially you know, offensive. Bridge of the Nerds has a rape scene in it. I mean, Porky's has him spying on the girls in the shower. Right, right? absolutely. Time is hysterical, right? Now it's like, God, I mean, these guys should be locked up for, you know, I, I mean, but, you know, it's just, it, it tells you a lot about the time, which is made there. Historical documents, you know, in a way, to quote Galaxy Quest. But that's, you know, there's something to be said for that you don't want to clean that up you don't want to you know try and you know paper over the 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 past but as i'm saying it's like i remember when we showed free enterprise at the peach tree no the it was in dallas at a big film festival in dallas and um there's the line where um uh mia farrow uh, raped by the devil and rosemary's baby she deserved it after what she put woody through and uh, <laughs> started screaming you know and and fled the theater and she was really really pissed and you know i remember somebody asked us about that later. It's like, well, you know, I really hate Mia Farrow after what you put Woody through. And, you know, got a big laugh. And, you know, it's like now you probably have half the theater would walk out during that line. And or really deeply, you know, offended because you're trivializing rape and, you know, all this stuff. And it's just like, I don't know what to say. I, I really feel like, you know, again it's like it's how do you live your life and how do you treat people and how do you um you know uh it, it, it's it's just I, I you know you can't i don't know it just makes it makes me nuts it makes i me agree nuts. with the hate though i i i mean it's just people getting off on just being assholes it's not it's not critiquing so for example oh. right before you came on chad and i were shitting on rise of skywalker right and, but we were shitting on it of this does not move the plot. Sure. This does not, for example, you killed Chewbacca, supposedly, and then two scenes later, he reappears. You have done nothing. You have not moved the plot whatsoever. Well, and it's a no-wing thing half the time because you could say, this is why I don't like this, you know, whether it's new, uh, 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 new Star Trek or new Star Wars or new whatever, and, it, and then you could delineate you know, uh, a bunch of reasons, you, you very, you know, astute critiques. And they say, oh, you're just a gatekeeper. You're just, uh, you just like the old stuff. And you're like, no, I just told you why this doesn't work dramatically. And it's like, no, you just want to hate it to hate on it. And it's like, how do you win that argument? You know, <laughs> a great example of this is the Ghostbusters remake a few years ago. There is no way, and I, you, the three of us talked about this, I've, 10 minutes after seeing it, I realized I cannot critique this movie, even though I have a legitimate critique. Right. I cannot because I come off as a sexist white asshole, <laughs> no matter right. what I do. So it's better for me just to be quiet and go, meh. Yeah, I, you know, funny, I never saw the movie. I didn't have a problem, uh, you know, with the idea of um, that film. Uh, you know, the gender reversal because no, they neither get sorry, you know, so it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to make a film with Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis had passed away already. So I didn't 
the intent. I never saw it, so I can't say whether it was bad or good. Um, and I understand, you know, the, the backlash to criticism sometimes because, you know, with the Star Wars fans where it's like, oh, just Ray, you're just trying to make it a woman. It's like, that, that's a ridiculous criticism. Right. Agreed. Uh, but but then there you can legitimately say I don't like this movie with because of this and it doesn't mean that you're being sexist it doesn't mean you're being racist or misogynistic it just means you don't like the movie there's no. still re- re- reasons not to like the movie so right. no it's it's a different type of thing I didn't mean to get I had this was by the way nowhere in my notes of shit to ask you but as we're having a conversation it just dropped in my mind how do you feel free enterprise will be especially with the generation 20 years from now and yeah thank you for that really really thoughtful answer i appreciate it it's a snapshot of a certain era in time and a certain era in fandom mm-hmm. um and uh you know even the scene where marks with the the, the german model mm-hmm. you know, he says well i think after what your people did to mine you know i think a little breast fondling and a little action is you know it wouldn't be out of the question right. i mean it's, i I'm sure there are people who will be immensely offended by it. And you know what I say? I'm too bad. You know, it's, it's it, because comedy, you know, comedy at least should be the last domain of the, you know. Uh, of, should. Of, of, I, I, it should, but it, it's just getting ridiculous. I mean, on Twitter the other day, there was this huge outcry apparently over the fact that Richard Dawson used to kiss women on Family Feud. Right. A lot. Late seventies, yeah, you know, a lot, right? And it was something we all grew up, at least of a certain age, we grew up with, and you know, on the lips, thought twice about it. Yeah. Well, apparently, people were outraged, and and then you know, and <laughs> Richard Dawson's been dead for ten years, and uh, so you know, people were outraged by this, and it's like, I don't know if they were trying to get the repeats canceled or whatever, but then it comes out that, as a matter of fact, all the women on Family Feud had to sign a waiver saying whether or not they wanted Richard Dawson to kiss them. And apparently, ninety nine point nine percent of the women did, and the ones that didn't, he didn't kiss. So it, it's such a non story. In, in fact, they did everything right, you know. And and and, uh, and 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 you also think about a lot of people because you know it's it's the mid to late seventies, and he didn't care if you were white, black you know, uh, Latino. I, I mean, and this in the seventies was uh, so the fact that. Richard Dawson, that people were seeing Richard Dawson, you know, kiss black women in an era where, you know, it was all, uh, even in James Bond, they were cutting out the love scene between uh, Rosie Carver and Bond in, in South Africa. So this is a good thing. And it's like, they're saying, oh, this is horrible. How could this have happened? It's like, shut up. There are real problems in this country tonight, really big problems in this country right now. Why don't you focus on that instead of Richard Dawson? And Family Feud from 1976. Well, we're only supposed to hold you 45 minutes. We apologize. We went a few minutes past that. Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Any projects you got coming out? Uh, the Bond book, maybe a couple other things? Absolutely. Check it out. And of course, I'm very proud of our uh, series Pandora on the CW and the new right. season uh, you know, will be coming soon. Um, and in fact, uh, you can watch last season on the CW app. And um, the second season is going to be awesome. Uh, we learned a lot making the first season and we don't have a ton of money to make that show. So, the, the, you know, having more prep time now with this little intermission, this gentleman's intermission, uh, it's been, um, it's good, but I'm really proud of that show. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and the, and the Bond book is, I just think it's fantastic. And of course, you know, our, our podcast, uh, Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie, mm-hmm. um, 
only do we have the audio podcast, but the video podcasts are available now if you download the Electric Now app. And, um, you know, Inglorious Trexperts was something that I committed to a year and a half ago as a lark. Didn't expect to do it very long. And we've had so much fun doing that show that um, I, we just keep doing it. I mean, I keep trying to get out, but they keep pulling me back in. And, you know, it is what it is. Right. And well, hey, we're 130 some episodes and we're nobody. So we totally know what you're talking about. Right? <laughs> you get caught up in it and it's a lot of fun. Well, well, just, go ahead. Together too, and, 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 and hang out with people that you want to meet. And, you know, for us, it's the same thing. It's a chance for me to see a lot of people that I don't get to see as much as I'd like. And, you know, right. we get into the studio and we're recording an episode. You know, we've had some episodes I'm extremely proud of. And we were very lucky to, to, to you know, particularly with Star Trek, built up a huge audience very quickly. And um, they're so loyal and, and people jump on Saturday mornings to download it. And it's like, I just can't imagine disappointing them by, you know, saying, okay, I'm leaving. You know, I, I but um, so, I mean, we'll keep doing it for the foreseeable future. And then 430 movie is just a hoot. And, but the thing I'm most proud of is, you know, I brought in these guys, Steven Scarlatta and um, Josh Miller to do a spinoff called Best Movies Never Made, where they interview filmmakers yeah. about the projects mm-hmm. never made. And Steve Scarlatta was a PA for me on a TV show. And then he went off and did Joe Dorowski's Dune. It's such a great show, a documentary. And then Josh Miller. Right over here Sonic on the chef, shelf. And, yeah, it's great. And, and so those guys... I mean, it's funny. I sat with them when they recorded their first show and it was very stiff. And I'm like, "Uh oh, did I make a mistake? I gave them a couple of notes. And then from then on out, they just killed it. I I just love that show. And I think they've done an amazing job. They built up a really good audience and I'm very proud of them. Yeah, we were talking about it actually right before you got on. We were were shitting on Rise of Skywalker and I was talking to Chad about it. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Um, James, thank you for, I said, thank you for the entertainment. And I said, I think free enterprise was the first time I saw something where I'm like, Oh, this is a fandom that I I feel like I'm a part of. So thank you for that. Thank you. I actually saw house of dead on opening weekend. Uh, so thank you for entertaining me, giving me distractions, all of that. (laughs) I appreciate it. Look, thanks for having me on the show, guys. This is uh, a lot of fun, and good luck with the podcast. And uh, maybe when the uh, the new season premieres, um, come back and harass. Love to have you back. Oh, we'd love to have you back. We we're just being trying to be that forty five that you gave us, so we're respectful of it. We have a ton of more. Uh, Sorry, that's all right. Well, I'll stop recording now. Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah, good to talk to you guys. Take care. Grrrr. <sniffs>